right. Uh, good morning, good morning once again. Uh, so glad that you are joining us, whether you're visiting us for the first time or watching us online uh, this morning. My name is Efren Pena. I'm the campus pastor here at Southfield Santa Clarita. And uh, we hope that you enjoy your time with us uh, today. So we are in uh, the midst of this series titled Sounds Familiar. And this is all based on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus' most famous collection of teachings found in Matthew chapter 5. And today, we've been talking about quite a few different things, but today we're going to be talking about love. In fact, my title, the title of my message is The Object of Love. We love lots of things. We love pizza. We love cars. We love movies. We love video games. We love sneakers. We love our spouses. We love boyfriends and girlfriends. We love our children. Uh, but today we're going to be talking specifically about loving friends and loving enemies. So let me start off by asking this. How many would you, of you would admit that you have a ton of friends? Just raise your hand. Like you are the most friendliest person and you got tons of friends. Okay. We need to work on that for you. Uh, that's why we have some trouble connecting with people. Okay. I get it. I get it. How many of you would say that you have uh, a decent amount of friends? Enough friends. Anybody? Enough. Okay. How many of you would say that uh, you have enemies? You have some enemies. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now, that's good. It's good. It's good because that gives us a great place to start off this morning. Jesus, Jesus shares about loving friends and he shares about loving enemies in this Sermon on the Mount. And uh, he says some really interesting things. And today I hope to kind of dive in a little bit and kind of uh, get you thinking a little bit differently than maybe you have in the past. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 through 48. And it says, If you have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person if someone slaps you on the right cheek or for the other cheek also. Before I continue to move on, right, this, in this part of Scripture, Jesus is saying, man, before the law was this, this is how it was said. This is how you were told and instructed to, to live life. But now I'm bringing a new way of thinking, a new way to approach this. And he continues to say in verse 40, if you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat to. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You have heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even 
Corrupt tax collectors do that much. 47, if you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And in this part of Scripture, Jesus kind of lays it all out. He changes, he wants us to begin to change the way we've been doing things. In fact, he said some things that some of us might not agree with, that some of us might kind of scoff at and say, oh, I don't know about that, Jesus. But here's the thing. As people in today's world, we kind of, we tend to put people into two categories, friends and enemies. People we like and people we don't like. People we get along with and people we don't get along with whatsoever. People who are with us and people that are against us. We kind of don't really put anybody in between. We say we do, but in actuality, we, you're either for me or you're against me. And the fact is that I would hope as a, as, that as a pastor and as a believer that most Christians would cringe at the fact or even reject the idea of hating anyone. In our household, we kind of say, oh, don't say hate. That's just a strong word. Let's figure out a different solution, a different way. Because truth is, after all, we've been taught scripturally to love our neighbors. You've said it, you've heard me say it over and over and over again. Love your neighbor, love your neighbor. Love the people that are around you, the people that you do life with. And maybe we've even quoted We've even caught ourselves quoting the call to love our enemies because we've read that in Scripture before. But I want to tell you this morning, as you probably already know for yourself, there is a huge, absolute huge difference between verbalizing and believing in these honorable and righteous ideas of loving your neighbor, of loving your enemies, than actually living them out. In other words, it's a lot easier to say it. It's a lot easier to, man, I, I love, of course I love my neighbor. The one that let all the water fall into my apartment. Yeah, I love my neighbor. Yeah. It's easy to say, man, I love the people that I do life with. They're so funny. They do things for me. Like it's easy to love. It's easy to say these things. But are we actually doing it? Because I believe it's a lot more difficult to live out that scripture where it says to love your neighbor and to love your enemies. Now, in the novel, The, the Brother Karamazov by Theodore Dostoevsky, I messed that up, but I messed it up in the morning service, and then someone was kindly enough to try to break it down by syllables for me, and I really, really appreciate it. But that's Russian, and it'll take me a little while saying it. So excuse me if I don't say it correctly, but I tried, right? In this novel, 
This is a passionate philosophical novel that enters deeply into questions uh, about God, about free will and morality. And the author wrote about the ease, right, how easy it was to love humanity while hating actual humans. And as I began to research for this, this, this topic and started to read just little clips of this, uh, this novel, I started off by finding a quote, and the quote led me to, to reading a little bit more in depth about the book, and eventually I got it on, on my Kindle, and I just started to kind of dive into it a little bit. And it kind of blew me away because it kind of, I understood where they were coming from. And, and I took this quote from it, and it says, The more I love humanity in general, the less I love man in particular. In my dreams, I have often come to making enthusiastic schemes for the service of humanity. And perhaps I might, <coughs> excuse me, I might actually have faced crucifixion if it had been suddenly necessary. So he starts off with, man, I've dreamed of doing incredible things for my culture, for my society, for the state of human people, for humanity, and even sacrificing my life for it. And then he continues to say, and yet I am incapable of living in the same room with anyone for two days together, as I know by experience. As soon as anyone is near me, his personality disturbs my self-complacency and restricts my freedom. In 24 hours, I begin to hate the best of men. One, because he's too long over his dinner. In other words, he's taking too long to eat. Another is because he has a cold and keeps on blowing his nose. I become hostile to people the moment they come close to me. But it has always happened that the more I detest men individually, the more ardent my love for humanity. And I found that so profound because I've seen it. I've seen other people do it. I've done it and experienced it myself. Maddie, my daughter, she, I think this is probably one of the best things for you because she lives this out. She loves humanity, wants to do what she can to help. But you step into her room, she's be like, get out. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is calling us to love the everyday enemies in our own households. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm not going to ask you to raise any hands this morning about the enemies in your household. The annoying people who interfere with your wills and stand in the way of your desires with everyday regularity. The people that you do life with. That means loving the inconsiderate spouse. Don't, no nudging, no nudging, no elbows. Keep to yourself. This means loving the self-centered teenager. This means loving the absent-minded child. 
And it also a call to love the disrespectful boss and the demanding client. Oh, Pastor E, now you're trying to get into my business. And now that's, I'm not, I'm not, I don't necessarily agree with you. And I get that. You don't have to agree with me. But the truth of the matter, as believers in Christ, as followers of Jesus, we need to do as Jesus has called us to do. We need to emulate the life that he has modeled for us. So let's talk a little bit about love. 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. God is love. This is one of the most quoted sentences in the New Testament. There is, however, a huge gap between what the Apostle John meant when he wrote it and how often, and how often, and how, excuse me, how we often hear it. The word love really carries um, a lot of cultural baggage if you would. When modern Western people hear the word love, they conjure up ideas of romantic uh, infatuation and gooey feelings inside and and sweet, mushy sentiments. And you start holding hands and and you get that Pepe Le Pew kind of vibe, right? Not the stinky vibe, the romantic vibe of it. We think of love as this soft and and gentle emotion. And therefore, when we read Jesus' command to love our enemy, it almost seems impossible to understand what he means. Like, man, I love my wife. I love my children. It's easy to do. But you're asking me to kind of like be all gooey and and, and sentimental about my enemy. I hold my wife's hand. You're asking me to hold my enemy's hand. I hug on my children. You're asking me to hug on my boss. Like, like it doesn't, doesn't work. Like, it, it seems impossible here. You see, enemies do not naturally bring about uh, or, or kindle gooey feelings or mushy sentiments. And almost our eyebrows go up and we get that look when we think about our enemies like, like I don't like this person. This person has hurt me. This person has done things uh, that, that goes against me. So we don't necessarily link the two together. We can love our family. We can love our children. But we cannot love our enemies because it doesn't make sense. It's, it's not logical. A church, in order to grab onto and understand Jesus' command to love our enemies, we must first have a vision to recalibrate what love is inside our hearts. We kind of have to hit the redo button to restart it, to get a different understanding of what Jesus means. When it comes to love, 
The sword of love, Jesus is calling us to be willing participants. And that key word is willing. We got to want to do this. We got to want to change, right? And anything in life as, as, as Christians, when we face a challenge, when we come against something where the word of God says this, and, it's, and it seems kind of different than the way we've been living, right? It seems like an uphill climb. We have to be the willing participants in order to do this, in order to get there. We got to want this. And so in order to be willing participants in this, Jesus is calling us that it's going to require more than just showing our emotions, that it will require us to activate our will and do it. We can't just go around and saying, oh, yeah, I love my neighbors. They're so nice. Yes, I love my, my I can't even pronounce the word, enemies, but I love them. We can't just say it. We have to activate what's within us, the will to do. Listen, apart from any, uh, from any feelings which few of us can control, Real love means to will the good of another person. Real love means to will the good of another person. In other words, can you, when you say, man, I love this person, are you willing to do what it takes to do something in the best interest of that person. Something that will benefit that person. Not benefit you in any way. Right? Because some of us have this, this kind of theory that if, if I did this, then I'm going to get that. I love this person. But if I do this, then it, it guarantees me I'm going to be able to have that. But when we really love someone, it kind of wipes that away and says, man, I'm going to do whatever I need to do that will benefit this person, that will actually do good for this person. To love is to act in a way or manner that is in the best interest of another person, even if the other person resists the action even if the other person doesn't like you, even if the other person doesn't like what you're doing because they just don't like you, it's, it's about you doing something that will be in the best interest of that person, even if you don't want to. This means love may take forms that differ greatly from our cultural expectations because we all know that our society identifies love in a different way than how the word of God describes it. As Theodore said in his novel, love in action is a harsh and dreadful thing compared with love in dreams. Oh man, we have watched movies, we have watched shows, and we have dreamed up and conjured up different scenarios on what love would be like. We have made, I remember watching The Love Boat when I was a kid. The Love Boat. 
It's exciting and brand new. Right? I remember growing up, and it, it implanted things in my head that, man, I'm going to find love on a boat. <laughs> then they put me in a canoe and I almost drowned. But we make up these illusions and these scenarios in our heads of what love is like. And this quote just spells it out because love in action is harsh and dreadful. It is not easy to do. It is not easy to love someone who said something about you. It's not easy to love someone who does something against you. It is not easy to love someone when they give you the stank eye. Because to love our enemy is to actively pursue and seek what is in the enemy's best interest. For those of you who admitted that you had an enemy and those of you who lied and said you did not, think about that. To love your enemy is to actively Pursue and seek what is in their best interest. Even if he or she does not want it. Which may explain why they're your enemies in the first place. Ultimately, this call to love our enemy is no different from the many other commands of Scripture. Jesus always insisted that the citizens of his kingdom put the interests of others ahead of their own even when the other person is our enemy. Yesterday I spoke at a memorial service here for John and Sabrina's, uh, or John's dad, and uh, who passed several months back, but timing uh, only allowed it to be yesterday. And I spoke about life and death. I spoke about the expectations and the promises that God has given us of a greater place in heaven. A place where there is no more hurt, no more pain, no more angry people. And I, when I started to write this, I, I, uh, I started to kind of put the pieces of the puzzle together that God is asking us to prepare, to practice now what will happen in heaven. And I came across this slide, I came across this, this, this quote, and I put it into a slide, um, and I th think it speaks to where many of us are today or should be today. And it says, the narcissist loves only himself. The nationalist loves only his tribe. The activist loves only his cause. The idealist loves only his thoughts. The humanist only loves only his concept of humanity. The Christian loves the irritating person right in front of him. 
And I felt kind of guilty because I don't know if I have yet arrived to that last one. Now, I know that for many of you, it's probably much easier and maybe it'll make you feel a lot better if you just slapped your enemy in love. Right? But nothing in the Sermon on the Mount makes people more uncomfortable than Jesus' words against retaliation. The call to not slap the evil person. The call to be the bigger person, to turn the other cheek, to not resist the enemy, to be more like Jesus, and to give more than what is demanded all seem like nonsense to any sensible person. Could you imagine going into work and saying, I'm not going to slap the evil person. I'm not going to... Uh, 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 I'm, not, I'm going to be the bigger person here. I'm going to allow you to smack my other cheek. Uh, I'm not going. I'm not. I'm going to resist. I'm not going to resist the enemy. I'm going to be more like Jesus and give more than what is demanded of me. They will look at you like you're a little bit crazy. You see, our culture tells us that anyone actually living this way would never get ahead in this world, would never be successful. And for this reason, many people have tried to reinterpret Jesus' teaching in light of practical realities. They have tried to conjure up their own idea, their own understanding of what it is to love your enemy, to make his counterintuitive commands appeal more practical and common or at least less ridiculous than to love our enemies. Behind this is really, it's really just a, uh, it's just to justify, a desire to justify ourselves, though. We desperately want to rationalize our hatred and our anger. We want to give reason to why we are acting up, to why we are so angry. We want to retaliate and resist those who interfere with our desires and wants. In other words, we want to slap that person who says, oh, you you can't do this and you can't do that. This is how it should be done. This is how you should live your life. Right? We don't want anyone interfering with the things that we want to do and how we want to do it. We want to believe that our selfishness and devotion to self-preservation are not only acceptable, but actually they're admirable qualities of a Christian. But make no mistake about it, folks. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus is not on board with your way of thinking. Jesus is not going to check off on your way of reinterpreting and and redefining what it means to love your enemy. The foundation of love that dominates his kingdom is all-encompassing. It's all-inclusive. Our call to self-sacrificial love must retract and restrain our instinct for retaliation. 
We can't just go around wanting to beat up our enemies. We can't just go around wanting to do evil against our enemies. We just can't go around hating on other people because they hated on you first. So let me wrap this up. Church, rather than reading these statements that Jesus makes in the Sermon on the Mount as commands or laws to be obeyed, because the reality is a lot of us, when we read the Scripture, we see that. We see that or we feel like, man, what we're reading is laws that must be obeyed and commands that we must follow. In fact, I even heard people say, man, the Bible is just, it's just about do's and don'ts. I'm like, man, <laughs> there's so much more to the Bible than just do's and don'ts. And so instead of looking at this as laws and commands, I believe we ought to see them as illustrations of a life shaped by God's kingdom. In other words, we are promised the keys to the kingdom. We're promised a life, a better life in his kingdom, in heaven. But how we live here on earth should be practice for what will await us in heaven. Because like I said before, in heaven there is no death. In heaven there is no hurt. In heaven there is no pain. There's no dirty looks. There's no wisecracks. There's no smart mouths. There's no people getting on your nerves. There's no people trying to take what's yours. There's no one pointing fingers at you. There's no one trying to rise up and, and, and come against you. You see, in heaven, there is only love. And if we would just see what God is trying to share with us today in the here and the now as an illustration of what awaits us in heaven. And I believe that it would encourage us to be better and do better. They are examples of what happens when we consider what is best for the other person rather than ourselves, even if that person is our enemy. Because I would be so disappointed if that it was my turn to get to heaven and I have to do remedial love like you have to do in college. Oh, you got to take remedial math because you didn't do that great in math. How many of you like that? None of you did. 
I would hate to have to take summer school of love before I got to heaven. Jesus is saying, hey, we we just got to be better and do better here on earth. We got to figure it out here on earth because there is no hating in heaven. So church, Jesus is calling us to love the person in front of us, not just the people we want or are easy to love. Listen, I've had some difficult family members. Not you, Jason. (laughs) People that have been hard to, to love, to even talk to. I've come across people that wanted to take something from me. I've come across people that wanted to fight me. People that wanted to hurt me. People that just want to get under my skin by honking the horn. Jesus is saying we need to love them. We need to love them. We need to figure out what to do in their best interest. Because when you figure out how to do that, you'll live an incredible life. Not only here, but you'll be that much more prepared for his kingdom. So Theodore said, the more I love humanity in general, the less love, the less I love man in particular. In of itself, I would say he's absolutely right. Because it can be easy to love people with our thoughts. It's easy to fake that smile. But Jesus commanded an action-based love. Not a word-based love, not a thought-based love, but an action-based love. And yes, even towards your enemies. Because love is a decision that you must make in your mind. Love is a commitment that comes from your heart Love is an action that must be lived out tangibly, physically. But love is not a feeling. Love is not a feeling because we can easily get swayed by our feelings. But when we make that decision and we make that commitment and we put it into action. Not only are we loving our, our neighbors, but we are loving our enemies as well. So take a moment, church, today, later on, to identify the enemies in your life, those within 
your own household, those within your workplace, those with the people that surround you in life, and even those who come up against you. Those that you struggle to love and take your time, take the time to ask God for the grace, for the empathy, for the opportunity to love as Jesus would love. To not just say it, not just think it, but to actually do it. I believe we can set an incredible movement in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in this city by simply loving our neighbor and loving our friends. Amen.